discuss the the overall viabilities of both offers. Came in like a ball of fire, ready to fight, and it turned out to be very civil. So no worries, but we we get into all that in the last segment. So all that's coming up and more on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Knox foul from behind. What he does is contagious. Robinson with a catch and slam. Across the lane to Trier. You are locked on Knicks and locked on Nets. Gavin Shaw, Josh Bass, Marcus Barahal with possibly, possibly a cameo from Alex Wolf uh, at the end. Uh, and we were all we were all gathered here today on this Skype to talk about uh, the Anthony Davis trade. And it seems a little bit less likely now it'll be applicable to either of our two teams. But we thought it'd be fun to break it down from a Nets perspective, then a Knicks perspective, and then sort of debate which team would have the better package. So I want to start off uh, throwing it to you guys. Um, where, where are you Where are you at right now on the Nets side of things in regards to Anthony Davis now that it's looking increasingly likely that he'll be headed to the Lakers? Do you want the Nets to make sort of one last push for him, or are you kind of content with just Kyrie Irving? Well, well for I'll... the new listeners, first off, I'll just introduce myself. My name is Josh Bass. I am the host of Locked on Nets, uh, and my much smarter and more charismatic co-host is... Marcus Barahal. Yes, and I'm Marcus Barahal, and my uh, much handsomer, uh, smoother voice co-host slash full host, I'll say, I'm the co-host, is uh, is Josh Bass. I happily take the the number two role. There's no debate. You know, I'm the Kyrie to his LeBron on our pod, so feel free to join that. You're the way <laughs> to my LeBron, Marcus. Oh, thank you. That, we also, did, we also didn't answer. Scenario. We didn't answer Gavin's question at all. Um, to answer the question. I was going to say what's happening. What's happening? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't... I think, I mean, Josh and I have talked about it a little bit on the pod, but I don't think that the Nets were ever really like front runners to land Anthony Davis. And I think like at their best, they were probably just like in the conversation. I think that that's still kind of the case. And obviously the Kevin Durant injury has like ripples all around the league, but I think that those more affect the Knicks. And it seems like the Nets are like more and more likely every day to get Kyrie Irving. Obviously the Celtics wanted to pair him and Anthony Davis in Boston. So I think that they're is like a way that those two would work together. But with the news that Kyrie is now signing with uh, Rock Nation, which is, uh, for those who don't know, the same agency as uh, Karis LeVert, uh, Brooklyn Nets uh, future all-star, maybe that makes them less likely to include him in a trade for Davis. And he's kind of like their biggest piece that they would include. So uh, it seems like that maybe would put a damper on a possible trade to Brooklyn. But again, I don't know that it was super likely to begin with. Yeah, and and the one thing I'll say is that Listen, would I love to have Anthony Davis on the Nets? Absolutely. But just kind of given the Nets outlaying draft capital to the Atlanta Hawks and in the decision to get rid of Alan Crabb, it's much more likely that they're going to be able to get a premier free agent versus being able to attract someone in a trade. So while they have some nice pieces like a Karis LeVert, who I'm, I'm pretty high on after being super low on and uh, I think um, blatantly saying he would never be an impact player in this league after his just terrible performance coming back from... Uh, his his injury. I was clearly wrong on that. But uh, between Lavert, Jared Allen, some value contracts, and Joe Harris and Spencer Dimwitty, the Nets can put a nice package together. But it's just not going to get you over the hump for Anthony Davis when there's so much competition out there to get his services. 
Yeah, and I guess I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I think you guys certainly make valid points in terms of the viability of getting Davis, but just just as an idea, like like if the Nets could hypothetically get Davis for a package of let's just say Karis Levert, Joe Harris, um, Zanin Musa, and maybe they're like twenty twenty two first. Like do you like just just as like kind of an exercise? Do you think that's worth the risk for a team in the net situation where obviously they're big market, they're still in New York, they're not one of his two preferred destinations, and yet you you do sort of put yourself in the conversation to win a title next year, even with some depleted depth. I mean, I think that combination of Kyrie Irving and Anthony Davis in a league where Kevin Durant isn't around, I, I think that, that does kind of give you a shot in NBA championship. Really? Because, I don't know, I completely disagree with you on that because, <laughs> listen, AD has, has been on the Pelicans and... I think Ky- obviously Kyrie Irving and Drew Holiday are, are much different players. Kyrie is more talented. But overall, Drew Holiday, just given his all-around ability and his stellar defense, isn't that far off from uh, Kyrie's overall ability. And the team that obviously por- that um, New Orleans put around uh, and AD and, and um, Drew Holiday, you know, you can say whatever you want about kind of Dell Damps and um, kind of the regime before that and how – uh, Alvin Gentry has coached them and kind of the style he's been playing, but they weren't weren't even close to anything. I mean, they had that one nice series win a couple years back, but I don't see that. I don't think you can just say that Kyrie and AD vaults the Nets necessarily into playoff contention. I mean, given Sean Marks and Kenny's track record, I think they can put a good team around them, but you need more than those two stars. We've been seeing that in the playoffs right now. Listen, the Warriors have Steph, um, they have Clay Thompson, and they have Draymond Green. But their depth is so bad besides those guys that they're losing to a Raptors team that has Kawhi, has that superstar level talent, but has really filled around him with solid, solid guys that can wear you down over a seven game series. Yeah, I guess I guess it would come down to what you do with D'Lo. And like and I, I guess that that's really a complicating factor in all this, because I mean, we, we actually talked about unlocked on Knicks the other day. Like it's, it's essentially like unless he wanted to go to New Orleans, it's basically impossible for the Nets to include him in a Davis trade. And it's it's I think he like essentially has like if assuming the Nets matched his offer sheet with another team, he like essentially has a no trade clause for next year. So like the, the idea would be on paper to turn him and Dinwiddie into wings that you could put around Irving and Davis. But I guess that's, that's easier said than done. Marcus, what do you, what do you kind of think about all that? Yeah, I, I'm going to push back on Josh a little bit, I think with the, in terms of, I think the Davis, (laughs) sorry, I'm trying to play the middle a little bit Uh, in terms of, I think that Kyrie and Davis would definitely make the, the Nets a contender. I mean, obviously those teams with uh, AD and Drew holiday, like they made the second round the one time, other than that, they either were in the first round or they didn't uh, make the playoffs at all. I think a lot of that was because of the roster construction and because of health. And I think that, uh, granted, like Kyrie's not the most like uh, injury averse guy. Like he's had some some bumps and bruises along the way, and Davis has as well, obviously. But I think that Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson have kind of shown with Joe Harris, with uh, even guys like Damari Carroll and Jared Dudley, that they're able to find useful role players and I kind of trust that they would be able to fill in the gaps around those two superstars and as good as D'Lo was this year as good as Levert I think we all think is going to be they've never had anyone nearly as talented as Kyrie and Anthony Davis and the potential at having two top 10 guys I think would put them especially with the Celtics then losing Kyrie I think it would put them right up there in that top four with Philly Toronto and Milwaukee now does that like guarantee them a trip to the finals no it probably doesn't even guarantee them anything past the second round, but I think that it definitely puts them in the mix, and I think that they'd have a shot. 
And I guess the question is, I mean, then could you convince AD to resign? And we, we I mean, uh, I guess not on this podcast, but in my in my previous life as a, as a Locked On Nets host, though, we talk a lot about the, the Nets organization and like them being one of the more um, player forward franchises in the league like I think I think there is a world where they could like make Davis at home enough that he'd want to and like maybe Davis would like playing with Kyrie enough that he wanted but again it would like all be like contingent on winning and it would sort of be like the Kawhi situation like where if you don't sort of um like not not fluke but like force your way into a championship appearance like maybe it wouldn't be enough to keep him from going to the Lakers or the Knicks the next summer Right, but yeah, it could also no, it, be a, a situation like Paul George in Oklahoma City where maybe he does have that relationship with the point guard, and even though they don't go super far in the playoffs, maybe Kyrie, I think, at this point, it seems like he wants to be in Brooklyn. I mean, it's hard to compete with, like, Westbrook's level of dedication to Oklahoma City, but, like, if Westbrook is, or, sorry, if Kyrie is really that committed to Brooklyn, then maybe he could be the Nets, like, best recruiting recruiting tool to get AD to stay. Josh, anything? And, Gavin, I'm, I'm curious to know, like, Marcus and I are, we have our head to the ground in Brooklyn, but from your ivory tower over in Manhattan, <laughs> has there been any talk of kind of if the Knicks do strike out on maybe a KD or Kyrie that they would potentially offer D'Lo uh, a max restricted offer sheet and try to kind of push the Nets hand and maybe they can work out some sort of sign and trade there? Um, No, you know, it's fine. We, we I mean, I, I think probably because like the KD stuff is so new and like the idea has been, I think, largely that they would go after Kemba Walker. If Kyrie does indeed end up going to the Nets, um, we, we haven't really had a chance to talk about it yet. Um, just from from a personal perspective, uh, I'm, I'm kind of I, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've never been like I obviously uh, last the second half of last season aside where he was like extraordinary offensively. I've never been the biggest fan of D'Lo's game. And I guess just like in general, like I'm not inclined to like commit big money to someone who I think is going to be just a massive liability defensively. I mean, regardless of how he continues to develop on the other end of the floor, but he, he would be interesting. Like, and especially like on a Knicks team, like keyed by Mitchell Robinson, like I think Robinson's ability defensively does give you a little bit more flexibility in, in building around a liability at on defense at point guard, who could also be a star on the other end of the floor. So something we have to think about a little bit more. I'm sorry. I don't have a better answer for you, but we're, we're going to put yeah, some thought into that. And uh, you know, James yeah, one way though, or I, I feel like where the Knicks are, they have all these like interesting young players and regardless of if you're high on Mitchell Robinson or Knox or some of these guys, like they do need a lot more structure. They need someone that can come in and be able to have a, like be a volume scorer, shoot a lot, get guys in position. And regardless of their efficiency, kind of put guys in a more natural spot. So instead of Knox needing to shoot 15 times a game, getting him more comfortable, having Frank um, say, it's fine to be in a lower usage role. Guys like Trier not having to create uh, every time and kind of being more of a, a spot-up situational guy. So honestly, I think a guy like D'Lo could really benefit them. And not necessarily uh, him, but, but maybe a type of player like him. Whether it be Kemba, Kyrie, D'Lo, a shoot-first point guard. And I think of those three guys, D'Lo has the best passing ability and best vision. Um, being able to get some of those young guys in better situations could be for the Knicks, not necessarily about that player, but about the development that he could set up for their other young guys. Yeah, I'm, I'm in total agreement on that. And I want to continue that conversation after a quick break here on Locked on Knits. Locked on Knits? Knicks Nets? Is that is that it? Is that the combo? <laughs> <laughs> Next, Locked on Knicks. 
Welcome back in to Locked On Knicks slash Locked On Nets. I'm Gavin Shaw alongside the hosts of Locked On Nets, Josh Bass and Marcus Barrow. And uh, I want to remind you to listen um, on the Himalaya podcast app. It's free. It's super easy to use. They have every single podcast you love or are searching for. And they now have themed collections of shows to help you discover your favorite podcast, whether you want to listen to a comedy podcast, a mystery, a thriller, or a sports theme pod, which guess what you're already doing. Himalaya has them all, so check out the Himalaya podcast app. All right, uh, we talked about it from a Nets perspective. Uh, now I wanted to move on to a Knicks perspective, and I, I guess in some ways this could be a relatively short conversation. Um, it doesn't really look like the Knicks are going to trade for Anthony Davis anymore, and I'm, I'm wondering if that's maybe a little bit short-sighted because the fact of the matter is he still is under contract for one year, and like obviously like he wouldn't have the fondest um, – or I guess the best possible time playing for the Knicks next season. Um, but if they hypothetically signed him and an injured KD and just said, you know what, like AD, like wait this year out, like we're going to do everything other than win to make this as pleasing for you as possible and to convince you that this is the place you want to be. And then AD has the promise of Kevin Durant coming back the next year. He has a year of that New York love. Do you, do you think that would be a plausible path for the Knicks? Or do you think they're sort of going down the right road, just saying, like, you know, it doesn't make any sense to give up assets for this guy when we, we don't know who the second star around him would be? Well, I think that uh, the Knicks have kind of talked about, or not they haven't talked about, but there's been rumors about, like, them building a big three of KD, AD, and then either Kemba or Kyrie as that uh, point guard facilitator guy. And I think that if you're going to still bring in an injured Durant, I mean, I think that a team of like Kemba and Davis with Durant hurt, I think that that's still a playoff team. And I think that if you do that, if you get Davis in here, like you said, and bring him around the culture, which is uh, rapidly changing uh, for the better, hopefully, uh, if you bring him with a guy like Kemba, who I think has like a really high approval rating around the league, and then you have Durant like ready to come back that next season, I mean, I think that that's a team that if I were him, I would want to come back to. And uh, it seems like that could be like a feasible path forward. I think that, like you said, when you have your shot, you kind of have to take it. And uh, yeah, I, I think that it, it would still make sense to at least explore it, depending on what the Pelicans are asking for. Yeah, and and you know, it's it's an interesting situation because I feel like the Knicks have kind of put themselves into a bind by kind of going all out for these free agents. Because when you look at what they've done so far, they hit an absolute home run with Mitchell Robinson. So kind of regardless of what happens with Frank, and it seems like he's just not going to have much success in New York, regardless of whether he picks it up later on in his career with another team as a second draft type candidate. And Knox, I think the jury's still out on him, uh, showed a lot of potential, but also really inconsistent. And I'm just not sure if he's ever going to be a true impact player in this league. But Robinson is definitely going to be an impact guy. So if you look at him and the way Fizdale's kind of implementing the culture, if the Knicks had kind of just taken it slow throughout the year, slow played everything and said, we're going to continue to build through the draft, try to pick up a strategic free agent here and there, and a really kind of tempered expectations, they would be in a great position saying, hey, it's very likely we could get a really good free agent this offseason. But they've just pinned their hopes so much on getting these top guys. And now as things kind of spiral out of control, first they don't get Zion, now third pick. It's looking like it's going to be R.J. Barrett. Maybe they'll take a swing on my guy, Sekou Dambuya. But... <laughs> What? <laughs> what are you laughing at? But still, it's Here. like he's great. Go ahead, go ahead. But but now it's like if they don't get 
if they don't get any sort of free agent, it's just a doomsday scenario. I mean, both my roommates are Knicks fans, and I heard them crying today saying, oh, no, Tobias Harris, Jimmy Butler, like, what are we going to do with ourselves? And it's like they always shoot themselves in the foot by going for these lofty goals, and it never works out for them. And that's why I'm just sitting over here in Brooklyn laughing at them because they're a joke. You're in Manhattan. Thank you. You're not supposed to give my location. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I spend a lot of time in Brooklyn. DM me for Josh's uh, address. But uh, yeah, I just, sorry, just to agree with Josh there, like when the Knicks traded Porzingis, I think that everyone, like when you do a move that's that big and that franchise altering, you kind of have to then back it up in the summer. And like, I think they kind of got the benefit of the doubt up until this point, and they frankly will still have it until July 1st unless something changes. But if they don't come out of it with something, like that's a disaster. And so I think that, uh, yeah, like Josh said, they kind of put themselves into a corner where they kind of need to come out of this with something. And uh, yeah, like what are your thoughts on that, Gavin? Yeah, I don't, this, is, this is a good avenue for me to go off on this because I think, I think <laughs> Alex generally disagrees with me on it. Like, I keep, I keep seeing on, like, Nick's Twitter, like, I mean, both, like, both fans and, like, and, and pundits alike being like, well, like, you know what, like, if, if the worst case scenario is, like, the Knicks, like, come out of this and, like, they get to do, like, the full rebuild and they can do the Hawks thing and they have the two Dallas picks and um, they can tank another year, like, that's not, like, the worst thing in the world. And I'm over here being like, it's like, it's, I mean, it's, it's basketball. It's not the worst thing in the world, but it's, it's pretty, it's pretty horrible <laughs> from, from a team building perspective when you thought you were going to have Kevin Durant and like, look like the Zion Williamson thing was always like, it was, it was, it was literally just because of the way the lottery works. It was never realistic in any way, but like, it was, it was a hope. And it was like this idea, like throughout the season that I was clinging to and like, all right, next year, like I'm going to be watching like, like KD throwing lobs to Zion or Kyrie throwing lobs to Zion. And like, once that went out the window, you said, okay, but like, here's the thing like here's the beauty and all this like clearly like the Knicks had gotten this this really really high level intel that Kevin Durant was going to come and it, w- it wasn't just like the Knicks appearing confident I mean like we've had Chris Herring on this podcast we had Ian Begley on this podcast like both of them um Mark Berman like they all reiterated like yeah like I mean that's like that's what we keep hearing like it sounds like everyone pretty much agrees like Kevin Durant is going to the Knicks and that was always the safety net and it's like the worst case scenario was that you got Kevin Durant and Kemba Walker or Kevin Durant and Chris Middleton or some combination of Kevin Durant and even like a mediocre secondary star that's immediately the best situation the Knicks have been in in my lifetime or like or or since I became a fan since two, since 2000 it, it, it's the best situation they've been in this millennia and now that's that's like functionally like out the window and like this is like I mean this is a conversation with yesterday and probably a conversation for another podcast but I, I'm still of the opinion like they should go after Kevin Durant and sign Kevin Durant but the idea that like you trade away Porzingis and I, and at this point there are I mean clearly extenuating circumstances there with the rape allegation and like the idea that like he wanted out of New York and was going to find a way to leave New York no matter what and like I I still don't totally buy that he wanted to sign the qualifying offer but that's neither here nor there the fact that you traded away like the the first like generational star or like a guy who looked to be on that trajectory that you drafted in three decades and you're not going to get the prize that was intended with clearing that cap space for such an immense cost, which was Kevin Durant, or you're going to get a crippled version of him for like, and, and that sucks, but that's the reality of it. Yeah. It, it's brutal. And like, I can't, but like, I'm just shocked how people keep trying to spit it into like, Oh, this isn't so bad. Well, no here. Okay. Here's what I'll disagree with you on Gavin. And I think you make a lot of good points there, but it, just because Chris Stapps Porzingis was the only like good Knicks draft pick in forever doesn't mean that they shouldn't trade him for the right price. And when you look at KP, I really don't think he's ever going to be more than like 
uh, a very good all-star level player. I don't think he's ever going to be a top 10 guy in the league. So just based on my evaluation, I actually think the Knicks made a good trade with that. And if they just took those those really high-level draft assets they had, um, both with Dallas's future picks, this year's pick, what's going to be a really good pick next year if they don't get anyone, and some of the guys they've brought in the system and hope that they can develop under Fisdale, then there could be something good building. So I think just because Knicks fans got attached to KP because they hated him at first and they loved him, then he started off as a kind of a revelation, but he's really cooled off the last few years. And with his injury concerns and just kind of um, just not difficult fit, but like he's not uh, like a Paul George type that you're going to fit in everything. He's a seven foot three guy that is immensely talented, but he's still seven foot three. He's not going to fit in every scheme. It's going to be hard to find the right guy to play next to him. So I think it's, I, I don't think they made a bad trade there, and I think Knicks fans got almost too emotional about being attached to KP and can't really see the forest for the trees. Yeah, um, Mar- Marcus, I, w- I want to give you a chance to come in, but I, I just want to push back, um, j- just like you did with me, Josh, on one aspect of that. To me, like what makes KP a superstar like is his utility and his flexibility. I mean, you, you just said like it's hard to find someone to play next to him. Like I think his greatest skill is that you can plug like any type of big next to him. You can have like a traditional center and he can pop out and play on the perimeter and create from there. Or or you can have or, yeah, I don't know. I feel like he still can't he's he's too slow to truly guard some of the fours in this league. He's not necessarily tough enough to rebound. Uh, as a five, I think he's a, a really great, he's obviously a great three-point shooter, but he's not a great scorer overall. I mean, he's he can't like he get to the, he's he like just shoots all these mid-range jumpers. And I think when you look at his efficiency and how he wears down year after year, it's not like, I think he's a very overrated player. And not to say that he can't get to um, being a superstar, because there is a chance of that. But I just don't think he's as good as Knicks fans say, and obviously still very young. But he's not, if you just look at his points totals, I think you'll be a little, you'll find him that he's a bit overrated. What, what, what do you think about it, Marcus? Yeah, I I don't necessarily disagree with Josh's like evaluation of him as a player, but I I do disagree with uh, the fact that I don't think that it was like a good trade. I think the the main thing that the Knicks got in the trade was the cap space and like the fact that it's now going to be wasted or used in a way that wasn't the intention is is reflects poorly on the trade. I think that there were probably if they had shopped it around, I think that they could have gotten more and maybe they wouldn't have needed to include a guy like Tim Hardaway Jr. or like something like that to try to like get rid of salary. Like if they had just traded KP straight up, I think they would have gotten more value back. And then the contracts that you have on the books don't necessarily matter because you're not using that cap space anyway. So you might as well keep those guys on the books and take in as much value as you can get. So I think that it wasn't a terrible trade because of the promise at the time of the of getting Kevin Durant. But I think that looking back on it now, it was a big swing and it 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 missed. Yeah, I don't know. And then there were like, it's still like hard to gauge like the truth on like the extenuating circumstances and like whether they think like he could end up being in jail for 20 or 30 right. years. I, I still, I don't know if that's going to happen. Like whether like, like what they think about like his injuries and like maybe they, maybe they think his NBA career like, or it's like his, his prime is only going to be like two or three years because of his legs. Um, and like the idea that like he, he genuinely like wouldn't have taken the qualifying offer. Like I, I, I never bought it, but maybe, maybe they're right. And maybe he wouldn't have. So um, there, there's a lot of stuff there and I don't necessarily want to re litigate that, but I guess we, we can just, we can finish this segment off by, by basically saying, um, I, I guess what, what's, what's the consensus from you guys like that they should still pursue an Anthony Davis trade. I think Marcus, you already talked about it. Josh, would you, would you still try to trade for Anthony Davis if you were the Knicks? Um, you know what? I, I think I would just because um, I'm, I'm super high on AD still. And I think that the Knicks right now 
you know, and I don't want to sound like the biggest Nets homer ever. I am one, but um, I, I try to try to avoid sounding like one. I think the, the Knicks right now, uh, besides Mitchell Robinson, who I think is, is going to be a really good player, a lot of the, their guys, the jury's still out on them. And jury's still out on Mitchell Robinson as well. Uh, but I think if you can get the um, kind of assurance of a superstar like AD, regardless of if he's a guy with some injury concerns, uh, just getting him on the roster and then, Figuring out the rest later. I think that's kind of the best tack. Because he's not a Carmelo Anthony type. This is someone who's a bona fide top five player in the league when healthy. And can really um, change the direction of a franchise on both offense and defense. So just get him in the system. And then uh, figure out the rest from David Fisdale, Steve Mills. And kind of building around him. That will entice him to stay long term. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, again, my only my only concern is that, is that again, that like he would, he would leave after a year and like the Knicks would... Would truly be left with nothing, but it, it does seem like, I mean, he, he literally came out, like he, like no one was pressuring him to like include the Knicks with the Lakers and he went out of his way to do that. So like if you're the Knicks, like you almost have to take that bet that you can convince him um, New York is the right place to be. All right. With that, we wrap up this segment on uh, Locked on Nets slash Locked on Knicks. And when we come back, uh, Alex Wolf is going to make a quick cameo. And uh, and I think I think we've been a little bit too civil with each other. So he'll he'll bring some heat. Uh, next. <laughs> Welcome back into Locked On Knicks slash Locked On Nets. Locked On Nits, as I accidentally called it at the end of the first segment. Uh, still here with Marcus Bearhall and Josh Bass, and now joined by my co-host, Alex Wolf. But before he spits some fire, uh, I wanted to remind everyone to listen to the Locked On Mock Draft uh, Part 1. Uh, I believe it was picks 1 through 6 came out today. So including you boys uh, picking uh, a little, little spoiler if you haven't heard it yet. R.J. Barrett, but we tell you why we took him. Uh, we tell you um, what scenario the Knicks would trade him in, which we're going to talk about here, and uh, who else they could possibly take if another team's willing to trade back. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to that yet, please do. Um, the Locked on Nets boys are coming Gavin? up. What'd you say? Did you talk about Seku as an option? <laughs> we, did not, we did not talk about Seku as an option. It was it was debated pre-show, but he just he just missed the cut. Um, and I, I was going to say, um, and now I'm regretting it a little bit, but uh, I believe, uh, you, you guys, you guys still have a segment, right? Even though, even though the Nets have like the different pick now. Yes. So yes. <laughs> it's a very long story. That was, uh, kind of the, the hot topic on the locked on, uh, Slack channel over the weekend. But so basically what happened, we made a trade, uh, before anything, before the Nets crab trade, uh, and with the Hawks happened, Anyway, they they obviously make the trade, and so we did uh, our trade with Charlotte and then did a quick two-minute spiel kind of talking about what the Nets did versus what they did in actuality. And this shows why we're not GMs, because we're just not Sean Marks. Yeah, but no one is. All right, and uh, with that, I want to get into the core of this segment. Um, it, it is It is more of a hypothetical at this point, because it doesn't seem like the teams are necessarily bidding against each other or doing so aggressively, but just... Um, in, in, in another world where uh, Kevin Durant does not tear his Achilles, uh, the Nets are sort of able to go full bore after Davis and are one of the teams that he's strongly considering, who would have the better package? And I want to start off with Alex, because you haven't gotten a chance to talk yet. And I think we've all been far too civil in this podcast, which is sort of against the history of uh, when we have these Knicks-Nets talks. And Alex, uh, just, just say what you got to say. Well, Gavin, if I may, first off, um, I'm coming into this blind, and sure. I sincerely hope that I don't listen to this tomorrow and feel disappointed in you for being too much, uh, too much of a Nets homer again. 
There, there's some Porzingis stuff last segment that you might not like. You, you might oh really my skip, goodness. skip the second segment and you'll be good. I, I literally just had to slap you on the wrist for this bullshit yesterday. <laughs> uh, I, I, like, I don't know if you guys listened to Locked on Knicks, but... I did. Like, uh, I, 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 I said that I need to wring all of the Nets bullshit out of Gavin like a sponge. And it's, it's, it's happening over time. But you know. I'm regressing a little bit with, with, with these two here. You are. It certainly is. I think these guys are a bad influence on you. Yeah. I think this is, awesome. I don't want you hanging out with them anymore. You know, I think this is, uh, they're, they're not, you know, they're not good for you. Yeah. I'm, I'm willing, I'm willing to call quits after this episode, I think. Okay. All right. Yeah. Quit them. Quit them. Anyway, uh, just <laughs> to, to sound like my mom telling me not to hang out with certain kids in, uh, in grade school. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah. So, it's, so what do you want me to tell you? Like how good the Knicks, how good the Knicks package is by comparison or what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically. I mean, I think that the Knicks have a package. Like if I'm looking at this objectively and I'll try to do this more so than I would on a strictly locked on Knicks episode where I'd be like, fuck the Nets. Um, I, I think it's like if the Pelicans are interested in like potential, you know what I mean? And, and like, I don't know if potential's right. Like, like the unknown, like the future, you know what I mean? Like, like that, that, like, uh, that beautiful, like, uh, feeling you get when you have things that are on the horizon that you don't know what's going to happen and they could work out really good, uh, or really bad, but it all depends on how you play it. That's then the Knicks would have the best offer because the Knicks have more draft capital going forward that they can send over. They have the number three overall pick in this draft, which, you know, presumably is RJ Barrett, um, who someone who, you know, depending on who you talk to is either looked at as, you know, in kind of a, in that second tier with John Morant, uh, right under, right under Zion Williamson, obviously, or he's, you know, viewed as, you know, whatever, just kind of part of the pack beyond that. But a lot of people are high on him in the draft. So, uh, he's certainly a good asset. And then, you know, if it, if the, the Knicks were really going to throw everything behind it, you know, they could also include Mitchell Robinson. And I mean, I'm not interested in hearing about how Jared Allen is better than Mitchell Robinson because he's not. And Mitchell Robinson is definitely the better piece uh, as far as like a center prospect in these trades. So I think, you know, I, I think that and we touched on this on on one of our shows this week as well, that, you know, someone like Karis LeVert it could be a good piece. They can't really trade D'Angelo Russell as much as that's like technically a possibility. So much would have to go right for that to happen. You know, like New Orleans would basically have to offer to like max him out probably. And he would have to overwhelmingly want to go to New Orleans versus anywhere else. I, I don't know how easy of a sell that would be for him. Uh, and then the deal also wouldn't be able to be consummated until uh, into July at that point. And that doesn't sound like it's part of Griffin's timeline. So, you know, I, I think Levert gives you more of a maybe an instant, uh, you know, potential star appeal or whatever. But I, I do think that the Knicks, if you're just looking at like, like what package would give you the most, you know, future uh, assets and, and things of that nature that the Knicks could definitely win as far as this goes. But it, they just don't really tick the box as far as like the established current player that it sounds like New Orleans is looking for. Yeah, I think that uh, you kind of hit the nail on the head where I do think Karis LeVert would be the best guy like right now that either team could offer. I mean, we saw it in the playoffs against Philly where he kind of became the Nets' best player in that series. Like as good as D'Angelo Russell was all season long 
and Lavert obviously missed time with that horrible injury. Once he came back and got in the swing of things, it was clear that he kind of demanded the ball and had the ability to get inside at a consistent rate, which D'Angelo Russell like, couldn't necessarily do. So I think that Karras would be a great guy to play with Zion, and I think it kind of depends on how they want to build around him because if they think that a guy like Mitchell Robinson, who I agree is like a great player, but if they think that him and Zion wouldn't necessarily be a great fit, you know, just with that size combo and they want a guard to be like the lead of the package, then I think that the Nets would be in the driver's seat uh, between the two teams. But like you said, uh, if they're looking for upside, like RJ and Zion did play together in college, so maybe there's something there, but at the same time, they did uh, not win a championship, so I don't know if there's any like residual hurt there. I obviously don't have any uh, connections or anything like that, so uh, that's purely speculation. But yeah, I think there's some sources, Marcus. Yeah, I, I know a few people. Uh, <laughs> I did drive through Florence, South Carolina recently, which is where uh, Zion's high school is. So shout out to that. <laughs> and you were but, just screaming out of the car window. Does he like RJ? The whole time. Yeah. Oh, they love each other. That's well on the record. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, two, that's in all their interviews and stuff, they always talk about how, you know, they were they were great with each other and they're like best friends now and and that they got along great. I mean, you could always tell like during their postgame interviews and stuff, too, that they they got along together. I don't think there's any resentment between them. Yeah, for sure. But I think that it basically comes down to like, do you want that top end piece like a Levert or do you want like several guys who could be on that level but are probably on the next year down right now, like Robinson, like Barrett? Even Knox is probably on that level or maybe even a notch below. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like if I'm if I'm the Pelicans, I really don't know why they'd want whatever the Nets would offer them just because for if they did that kind of package, whether it's Jared Allen, Karis LeVert, and some of these value contracts like Dinwiddie and Joe Harris, it's really just setting them up for, for mediocrity. And I think Zion's going to be amazing, but even still, he needs a team around him. And I think um, especially guys like LeVert and Jared Allen – I think they're really good, but those are prime examples of guys who are good players, but not at the all-star level. And then once they hit restricted free agency, they get overpaid by the team that's helped them develop. So I, I don't really know why the Pelicans would um, would kind of want that package. I think they're going to want a lot more upside. And frankly, with Mitchell Robinson and with all these draft picks, the Knicks can just offer that uh, more so than the Nets can. Wow, Josh, I really expected <laughs> like a lot more like vitriol. That was that, that was shocking. Wow, I like this guy. You, can yeah, we get yeah. him on I'm locked on this? Listen, I'm a realist, and I I love Karras. Oh. I love I love Jared. I don't love Jared Allen. I, I'm fine with him, but it's I, like <laughs> I if I'm the Pelicans, I just don't see what's attracting me to the Nets. I mean, do they want to win like 42 games next year, or do they want to actually be able to be a contender three years from now? And I think if they want to be a contender three years from now or five years from now, they need a lot more bites at the apple. This is this is amazing. Um, all right, before we wrap up, I, I just want to I wanted to like go go bigger picture for a second. Do, do you guys find it weird that the Lakers like all of a sudden seem like just like clear cut favorites for them, and, and they're going to get away with trading like wait like wasn't like Magic going to give up like four first round picks plus Kuzma plus Lonzo plus Ingram like at the at the deadline and and I know people said at the time like okay there's like a scenario here where this burns the Pelicans, like the Lakers aren't offering as much over the summer. And like, and obviously it's less time with him. And there's somehow seemingly even like less competition for Davis now than there was then. So I, I guess that kind of makes sense, but I'm, I'm surprised we haven't seen 
Um, I, I know Alex and I, when we did a podcast on this early, early in the week, discussed Denver as a team that would could sort of make like a Toronto-like um, effort as a pseudo contender who could put together, I mean, essentially like the package the Pelicans were looking for it, with like a borderline all-star level guy in Jamal Murray and then some solid role players and then a really um, high upside young piece in Michael Porter Jr., and if, if not Denver, like they're just like, I, I maybe, maybe I should go through the league and it might be like less feasible than I think, but I, I just thought there'd be like a couple of different dark horses across the board that would try to throw together something to really appeal to Davis. Like even Toronto could put together like a Hail Mary offer for him and like really try and strike it big with um, Kawhi and like give him a reason to stay. Well, to your point, Gavin, those, those huge offers that were reported uh, around the deadline, I think. I think those demands by the Pelicans are probably why Demps got fired, if we're being honest. Because <laughs> I think that he, I think he was asking for spite trade packages. Like he just yeah. want, he was he was pissed that you know Rich Paul went to the media and said I want to be traded to the Lakers, you know, or said you know said on Anthony Davis's behalf that he wants to be traded to the Lakers, and you know just decided then that. He was not going to do it unless the Lakers set the Pelicans up for the next 20 years, basically. <laughs> and and that's probably why he got fired, because then they had to sit AD for the rest of the year and all that stuff and deal with all that nonsense. But, yeah, I, I don't know about the dark horses, though. I, I You know, maybe someone will swoop in at the 11th hour. I actually almost considered the fact that Boston's being mentioned at this point to be a dark horse, because literally this morning, Rich Paul went on the record in a Sports Illustrated interview and said, we don't want to go to Boston. If he gets traded there, he's going to leave after one season. And then later in the day, we see Boston's back in it and they think they can pull this off or whatever. So yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a weird situation. Yeah. Rich Paul's kind of like been dictating a lot lately. And like, obviously that big like SI story on him came out today. And then there were all the quotes about how uh, Davis like wouldn't resign with the Celtics from Rich Paul, like straight from him earlier today. And so, it kind of makes it clear, like, with the Duran injury, like we talked about taking the Knicks out of contention, with the Nets never really seriously being in the discussions, and then with Boston, like, seemingly being ruled out almost by Rich Paul, like, it kind of leaves the Lakers by default. And then if they're the only team that's going to, like, really make a play, like, they don't have to give up as much. So, obviously, like, you can, like, knock the way that they handled it, uh, everyone at Clutch, but it seems like it's kind of working in a way, like, if it seems like he's going to go to the team he wants to go to and they're going to have to give up as little as really possible. So it's kind of the best case scenario for him if it does pan out that way. Josh, final thoughts? Uh, you know, I like honestly at this point, I'm just ready for free agency to happen. I have too much going on in my life to uh, <laughs> follow these rumors second by second. So I really just want to fast forward to uh, first to June 20th for the draft. Uh, where I'll be in Denver. Maybe I'll link up with the Locked On Nuggets guys. I unintentionally planned my vacation uh, at the time of the draft. And then fast forward immediately to June 30th and just want to have Woj break down what's happening uh, because I can't I can't take all the back and forth, the highs and lows that come to the reading Twitter um, basically 24-7. What a, what, a, what a way to end it. All right, that was a lot less uh, vitriolic than I hoped, but what a good <laughs> final segment. Happy to do it with all four of you. If you are not already, uh, make sure you subscribe to Locked on Knicks and Locked on Nets. I know on Locked on Knicks, uh, we are going to have a mailbag episode later this week. Uh, guys, anything to uh, plug for Locked on Nets going forward or over the last couple of days? Marcus, plug away. <laughs> uh, well, feel free to follow uh, myself at Marcus Barahall, Josh at JM Bass underscore. 
Uh, follow both of us at Locked On Nets, obviously. Um, we'll probably be talking about the finals once that's over, and then looking forward to the draft in about a week. So, very exciting. All right, awesome. Uh, with that, we will wrap up this edition of Locked On Nets. <laughs>